Uh, yeah, great, great encouragement. Uh, I was really encouraged yesterday as I was going through this message with my wife. We were sitting out uh, in the back uh, of our property out on the patio, and, uh, and uh, I was going through this with her, and I looked up uh, about 10 minutes into it, and she was... <laughs> I'm not sure if she was praying, but uh, I, I hope she was praying, but I suspect it was not. Uh, it was a nice warm day. That's what I'll, I'll blame it on. I, I was preparing for this message this morning, and I, um, I, I entitled it, because you're asked for a title, uh, Famous Last Words, and I, and I did that Google search of famous last words. You know, you, you go and look for something cute to say or funny to say at the beginning, and, and uh, it was really interesting to Google famous last words and read the famous last words of famous people, and they were all lame. Really was, it was really interesting. There was nothing interesting in what anyone had to say uh, at end of life. And then I, I kept my search going and, uh, and I found um, just a, a site that was just sons and daughters and brothers and sisters talking about last words uh, that they had heard from loved ones and, uh, you know, unfamous. But uh, then you could tell as you were reading through the, those words, uh, the ones that were there uh, written by sons and daughters of believers and the encouragement and the confidence and the comfort. And it was really interesting to see the difference uh, between famous people's famous last words and just ordinary followers of Jesus' last words. So... <clears throat> Uh, a little question for you. If, you. if you knew that you weren't going to be here 24 hours from now, what would you have to share and who would you have to share it with? What I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks uh, going over is the last words of Jesus to his friends and his disciples. Uh, he knew that 24 hours before this, or sorry, following these words, that he would be going to the cross. And uh, that's what I'm calling the famous last words of the most famous person to have lived. Um, in a few minutes, Einer is going to come and lead us through the celebration of the Last Supper, uh, the breaking of bread. And uh, unfortunately, I can't say what I put in my notes because I can't say that I don't know what he's going to share because he shared, shared it with, uh, with us uh, before, uh, before you all came in. And, uh, but typically what happens is, uh, you know, there, there's the record from Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, where uh, Jesus speaks about the significance of the bread and the wine. But I find it curious that John doesn't mention that at all. Of the gospel writers, John is the only one, really, who gives us the rest of the conversation that, that evening. And uh, it is fascinating. So what did Jesus have to say 24 hours before he went to the cross? Um, I'm not going to read all four chapters, although I'd like to. Uh, I would encourage you to. I'd encourage you to read through those four chapters, and those are the cha John chapter 13 through 16. Uh, when John asked me if I would speak uh, or, or share a message uh, uh, this morning, um, I certainly didn't know that all of you would show up. Uh, we're, how come you're not on vacation, for crying out loud? Um, 
Uh, I was in the midst of, uh, of reading the, the Gospel of John. I, I, I tend to read and write notes, and, and uh, um, the Gospel of John could take me a year to go through. And, uh, and I think I was pretty well at the end of chapter 16 when, when John asked me to, to uh, share. And I thought, I got to the end of 16, and I thought, man, I got to go back again. This is significant. This is, this is really significant stuff here. Jesus, knowing that he's going to die, is sharing with his friends the things that are really important. What's really important? And uh, if, you're, if you're not a, a believer and you're here this morning and you want to know a little bit more about who Jesus really is, I really would suggest you look at this, these four chapters or maybe even look at the whole book of John. You know, it, uh, I, I, I actually... Uh, was talking to a friend this morning, and uh, I said, so you might know who the friend is, uh, the Gideons. What's the most published book that the Gideons have put out? And he said, the book of John. It's the love book. So the reason for it is because it it's just paints such a wonderful picture of Jesus. So let's begin. I... Uh, <clears throat> The, uh, the, the first couple of verses are really important of John chapter 13. It's John's introduction and, and what he says in verses 1 and 2. It was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus is going to show his friends, and us, uh, the full ex extent of his love. So that's what I'm going to try and share over the next couple of weeks. So moving right into the next few verses, and again, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I, I will read a few verses from John. In John 13, 3 to 5, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You know, John writes, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. I mean, think about that for a second. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So. So what? Putting all of God had put everything under his power. What did he do? He got up took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around his waist. So, who were these guys? We kind of think that maybe half of them were fishermen, at least four of them for sure were. Uh, one was, we believe, an architect, another we know for sure was a tax collector, perhaps a carpenter and a stonemason. These were tradespeople, some professionals perhaps, just a good cross-section of society. Interesting, not a priest, not a religious leader, but just you and me. So John writes, Jesus, who that, that God had put everything under him, gets down on his knees, and he washes these ordinary guys' stinky feet. Imagine these guys, for a second, we're walking in their leather sandals, 
and uh, you know, it's hot, maybe hot, uh, certainly dirty and dusty. And uh, if you haven't kind of got a picture of how nasty that job was, I'll, I'll give you another little picture. I, I have, uh, between my kids and my grandkids, uh, have 24 that will come to my house and they leave their sandals and shoes in the little back hall. You don't want to stand, spend too much time there. Have you got that picture? Jesus, without saying a word, wanted them to get the picture. And John records it here for us. Now, it's interesting that John's the only one to record this, but anyhow, uh, there is a little part of Luke that I just wanted to to pull out, and that was in Luke's record, Luke says that there was a point when the disciples were arguing that night about just who was going to be the greatest of them. And perhaps it's in that context that Jesus, whom God had put all things under his control, got down on his knees to wash stinky feet. And I, if, you, if you've got the picture now, I hope you do. Uh, it's all described, I think, in one word. And that word for me is humility. The evening begins with a, without a word, but it uh, paints a picture of humility. And remember that God, the same God, described by John Fairchild a few weeks ago from Revelation, seated on a throne in all his majesty, came to earth in the form of the man, Jesus, who got down on his knees and washed stinky feet. Jesus was showing them, showing us the full extent of his love. You know, for someone who wonders about just who God is and what he's like, this is an awesome place to start. It kind of gets that picture out of my head. I grew up in, in a fairly uh, religious church. And, uh, you know, my picture as a kid probably was that one that some of you may have had, although there's not too many gray hairs here. You know, it's all a bunch of young people. And maybe you've got a different picture, but I did have the picture of that, that long white beard sitting on a big throne, probably a little bit of an angry look on his face, maybe pointing a finger. This gives me a completely different picture, and this is the one that I really think if you are one who really is not just yet trusted in Jesus, it's a good place to start. God in Jesus on his knees washing dirty, stinky feet. Just uh, this whole question of humility, I, I wanted to share a couple of my favorite verses. I've probably shared them before, and, uh, and many of them are, are familiar to you. Uh, the first one from Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You could probably quote it with me. And lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. In a word, humility. Micah 6.8, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Did you hear it again? Humility. Humility puts us right where God wants us. So everything that I think that Jesus will say in these last few hours did not begin with a word or words. It began with that simple act of, of ultimate humility as he got down on his knees 
to do the job that the lowest of servants would do. Humility. It all starts with humility. Did you hear that, wives? Humility. And for you husbands that thought, preach it, brother, I'm going to have to say it twice because it takes two times to get through your thick skulls. Sorry, my thick skull. Humility. I had to read the whole thing twice, right? Humility. I, I, I kind of thought for a moment when I was writing that down, you never, you ever think of why Jesus had a ministry of three years? You know, we know that Jesus, when he began his ministry at the wedding in Cana, it was three years. I think it was because he chose 12 guys and not 12 women. He probably could have finished it in a year. Um, sorry, I had to throw that in. Uh, if you, so if you're thinking, okay, I'm neither a husband or a wife, um, uh, humility. If you, uh, friend, neighbor, employee, employer, it all begins, everything begins with a simple act of humility. And uh, just remember, Jesus was showing him the, the, the full extent of his love. And the full extent of his love began with deep, rich humility. And that night, it was washing stinky feet. When I wrote these notes way back, probably two months ago, I think I, I called this the stinky feet premise, because I didn't want to forget it. The stinky feet premise. Sounds like a great book title for this subject, but anyhow. Uh, moving past this idea of humility, there's one other spoken lesson within the washing of the feet that I think we can gloss over too easily. In the midst of, being, of washing the disciples' feet, if you remember the story, Peter says, no way are you washing my feet. And uh, Jesus' response was, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. So this practical lesson of humility can, get, can overshadow a bit the, the uh, important lesson of the, uh, of the spiritual part of this uh, washing of the feet, and that is that Jesus was going to die to cleanse us with an unmatched cleansing. If I was to add a second word to this humility, it would be forgiveness. So humility uh, is the beginning, moving quickly to forgiveness. You know, if you, if you think back to, uh, if, if you're familiar with the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, when Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, he, he talks about blessed is, blessed is, blessed is. And that first one is uh, the importance of recognizing our spiritual poverty, humility, and our need of a savior, our need of forgiveness, and how that will lead to giving us the keys to the kingdom. Humility is the first step leading to forgiveness, both spiritually and practically. And when Jesus, Jesus finished this washing of the feet, he says, follow the example that I set for you and wash one another's dirty feet. Now, now do for each what I have done for you and I love how the Passion Translation, if you don't read different translations, it's really cool to read different translations, but I love how the Passion Translation puts this. Jesus said, so now put into practice what I have done for you, and you will experience a life of happiness and enriched with untold blessings. All starting 
with humility, closely followed by forgiveness. There's so much in these uh, verses, uh, in, in these four chapters to go through, and I'm, I, I, I'm not going to go through them uh, all, but uh, I'm going to actually skip over where Jesus calls out Judas, but it's really interesting. Do you know what Jesus said just a moment after Judas walked out? The next lesson, I think that Jesus was trying to teach them, I'm sure Jesus was trying to teach them, he says in John 13, 34 to 36, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, it's interesting if you're reading uh, in John 13 and those verses, uh, Jesus moves right into another topic, and it's only because Peter interrupts him when he's ask, asking a question about where are you going, which is really funny because it really shows just the humanity of, the, of these guys that he was talking to. And I thought, okay, am I going to keep going? Uh, and really, how do you walk away from that command without finishing Jesus' thoughts and uh, through, through these four, uh, four chapters? Um, did you know that in the NIV, uh, in those four chapters, of course you wouldn't know this because I'm the guy who actually counted them, uh, but in those four chapters, John uses the word loves or loved or love 29 times. And it's interesting that about half of the time he's talking about God's love for us, and about half of the time Jesus is talking about how we need to love others. Um, but three times during the meal together, Jesus said this, love one another. He repeats the command. And uh, I was thinking, you know, there's, there's a couple of really interesting verses to go to in terms of commands and what, what, is, what are commands and what about the, four, the, the, the Ten Commandments. And, and, uh, and Jesus' response to that was, you know what, I didn't come to do away with all the law. I didn't get, do away all, with all the commandments. I just came to fulfill that. I just came in my love to fulfill it. And then when he was asked uh, later, and it's recorded in Mark, uh, you know, what's the most important command? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment. Now, as he's sitting with his friends, his disciples, in these last few minutes, he gives them a new commandment. And that, that new commandment, three times, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And then later on in, in uh, chapter 15, verse 12, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. And then again, a little bit later in, in chapter 15, just because he's talking to a bunch of guys, remember, he says it again, very succinctly, this is my command, love one another. You know, this is the first thing, and if you read through those four chapters, you'll find some different things that Jesus repeats two, three, four times, and this is, this is the first. This, I think, is, is, such a, is the life-changing uh, um, command that he has given us. And, it's, um, and, and it really is, to me, that strong uh, point that, you know, our relationship with Jesus uh, is not in any way passive. 
this is an active uh, faith that we live. And uh, that, active, that active part of it is in this command. Uh, so let's go back. Just Sorry, I'm, I'm repetitive, but so was Jesus, so I guess I'll, I'll be repetitive. You know, the, the, the evening started with this humility, followed by forgiveness, and then came love. And, and it's really only as we go through the steps that we can love the way that Jesus commanded us to, to love the way that he loved, to love with ultimate sacrifice. Um, speaking about love, you, it's very difficult. Uh, if you're familiar with uh, love in Scripture, it's a little difficult to go uh, to speak about love without going to the love chapter. And, uh, and that love chapter uh, is uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, as Jesus is trying to show them, I just want to read this a little differently, I, just to show who Jesus is. And, uh, and I'm going to read it this way. We know that uh, God is love. We're told that throughout Scripture that God is love. And here's what the love chapter says. God, or Jesus, is patient, is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Of course, we know because Jesus died for all of them. Does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and never fails. So here is just another picture, part of the picture of our Lord and Savior on his knees, washing stinky feet, and another picture of our Lord and Savior, who is love. And you know what? He wants us to love just the same way as he does. You know, the, uh, uh, the, in Corinthians, um, Paul finishes off with, uh, with a simple phrase, uh, very, very close to the end. And uh, I'm sure that Paul was uh, probably hope, wished that he had been there that night to watch Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Uh, I'm sure that he probably wishes that he was there that night to hear Jesus himself say, a new command I give you. And, uh, and this is the way Paul finishes off uh, very close to the end of, of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, very simply put, do everything in love. So, what's the first thing you're going to do tomorrow morning? I know what the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to jump out of bed because I'm going to be late. I play hockey at 7 o'clock on Monday mornings. So I'm going to be thinking about who I'm going to be honking at to get out of my way because the most important thing that I have to do today is to go and play hockey, you know, and that's not really what, uh, what God would like me to be doing as I'm getting up tomorrow morning. I suspect what Jesus would like uh, for me is to think of this command, love one another, starting with humility, uh, moving on to forgiveness, and then loving the way that Jesus would like me to love. So let me leave you, they already know, there are 
unbelievable. They're omniscient, these, the people that are on the worship team. Um, let me leave you with these thoughts. You know, we don't need to open our mouths to be Jesus followers. We do need to begin each step with Jesus with a good dose of deep and rich humility. We do need to learn the value that Jesus places on forgiveness. By the way, it cost him his life. Jesus gave us a command that would change our lives and change the lives of all of those around us. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you, and greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus did this to show us his love, and so that we would follow his example. And to close, look at the promises he made, if we do that. So now I'll put into practice what I've done for you, and you will experience a life of happiness and enriched with untold blessings. And by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Next week, we'll look at a few other lessons and promises that Jesus thought were important for his followers. So does it sound like life will be rich and with untold blessings every moment? We'll look at that next week. Ever wondered how you could really love with the kind of love that Jesus wrote wrote or wants us to, again, that comes next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words of Jesus as recorded in John. Thank you for the instructions. Thank you for the promises. Help us, Father, to practice moment by moment that deep, rich humility. Help us to forgive as you forgave us. And help us to love as Jesus loved and continues to love us. Help us to think about that as we begin each day and moment by moment throughout the day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh, Caleb, thanks for not shutting me off, buddy. Even though your dad offered you 20 bucks. doing uh, communion this morning. Uh, if you didn't receive uh, uh, or get uh, the communion in the cup here, uh, uh, could you just put your hand up and I think our greeting team could get you a, a communion cup and, and wafer if you haven't gotten that already. Henry Noon in his book, Life of the Beloved, uh, summarizes communion with the following four words. Taken, blessed, broken, and given. While the apostles were eating the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. And then he gave the bread to his disciples. So let us now partake of the bread as Jesus has taught us to do.
When I think upon your sacrifice, you became nothing, put to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life, now I'm in that place once again. And I'm in that place once again. Sing that again. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice, you became nothing, poured out to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life, and I'm in that place once again. And I'm in that place once again. time of reflection, let us consider that the four words, taken, blessed, broken, and given, can also apply to our lives as we live out our life in faith and response to what Jesus did for us on the cross. You have been taken or chosen by God and know that he loves you and sees you as a special person. You have been blessed by God in his affirmation that you are being guided by his love on every step of your life. You are broken as a result of the fallen world that we live in. And your brokenness and suffering are unique to you and have shaped you as no one else. Embrace your brokenness and place it under the blessing of your life. You are chosen, blessed, and broken so as to be given. You are to give yourself to God and to those around you for who you are. Thinking on these words, let us now partake of the cup and remember the suffering of Jesus on the cross. you to stand and join us in singing the rest of the song. Now you are exalted to the highest place, King of the heavens, one day above. But for now, I marvel at this saving grace, and I'm full of praise once again. And I 
as blessed as it was for me is um, I can tell you the last couple weeks have been busy and I certainly got everything I needed out of today's service and I hope you do did the same a few announcements as we um, before we go um, bring your own picnic a time to uh, have lunch and community is following so there's um, some blankets um, we hope you brought some blankets and food um, to enjoy on this warm, muggy day. Um, Cheryl has nicely set up coffee outside and inside. So if you think outside's too warm, uh, there's coffee in the community room or it's outside. So thanks, Cheryl. Um, for those who are new, thank you for uh, joining us this morning. There is a package, if you go to the community room on the left, there's a blue uh, 